and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Deister. And if you could please subscribe to PR360 at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, it really does help and leave a review as well. But with me, I have Ed Zitron, and he's actually a pretty good guy to actually have on the show. He's done marketing for a lot of different types of tech sectors, including cryptocurrency, gaming, which is actually a pretty interesting sector in itself because of what's been going on with 2020 and everything. So we're just really excited to have him on the show. So welcome to the show, Ed. Yeah, thanks for having me. And my first question to ask all my guests on this one is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Uh, coffee. All right. Do you have any preferences or are you just whatever coffee is available? I use a drip coffee maker, like a pour over, I should say. And I use this thing called Trade Coffee that sends me coffee every month. And I grind that up fresh. But I don't do anything fancy. I just drink the coffee. Mm-hmm. And going on with our main topic is gaming is one of those industries that wasn't actually really affected too much by COVID-19. There's been some delays in video games as coming out, but beyond that, they've actually done pretty good. So where do you think that industry is going? I disagree that it was unaffected by COVID. I think that the ramifications of COVID are going to be obvious at the moment in many sectors. I think in gaming, it's going to take a lot longer to see what happens. You had several landmarks moved by COVID. Final Fantasy VII Remake has been in the works for, or depending on what kind of conspiracy theorist you are, as long as the PS3 has been announced, because I think that was when they originally did that demo. I think you're going to see major releases for years delayed on some level because of this, like Black Myth. I think you probably see that delayed because everyone going remote means a massive shift in the operations of any company. And gaming itself is something that's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to build a game remotely. It's not impossible. Teams have done it for years. But I think the... You're going to see, look at Destiny 2, for example. Destiny 2, a game that had a massive shift in the last 12 months. Bungie taking it in-house, leaving Activision Blizzard. I think that you're going to see massive changes to games, but it's not going to be as immediately obvious. I think that also something you're going to see is thankfully a move away from service-oriented games. The failure of Square's Avengers game, for example, I think is one where you're finally going to see these companies stop making these types of games or at least make them a lot less. Because frankly, if the Avengers fails, everything else is going to fail in the service-oriented game. Gotcha. So for our listeners, what you basically mean as games as a service, because that's what Avengers was trying to tap itself into. Yeah. Trying to do the Destiny 2 thing of, okay, we're going to have a game that you pay once for, And then there is going to be a kind of ongoing service level where you're going to get smaller new expansions. You're going to get more things to buy. I think that they just massively overestimated, well, several things, but none more than how good a game it was, frankly. Because I don't think that Avengers was particularly good at being the game it wanted to be. Ironically, I think if you look, what was the company? I can never remember the name of the company, but... The makers of Hades did what Avengers wanted to do a hundred times better for much cheaper. It's really something, actually. Hades is one of the best games ever made. Anyway, I've gone off topic, but 
No, I mean, there are were problems prior to actually Avengers launching, which could actually tag into marketers and PR people, like how to not launch your game because the reports came out that Spider-Man was only supposed to be for PS4, the PlayStation consoles, and nobody else was going to get it, which made a lot of people upset. And then all these other tack-ons with Intel having a promotion with their chips, but not really anything coming with it. Yeah, I feel like that didn't affect the overall sales of the game so much as it being just a muddy game. If you play it on a marketing level, they had tons of issues. Just, I think it was delayed like all games are, but at the same time, it it was delayed and then delivered what was ultimately a subpar game. And it was never that attractive a value proposition. It's just not possible to make the kind of looter shooter-esque game that Avengers wanted to be with the Avengers. It doesn't make sense. The first thing they had to do while building that game was pare down the abilities of superheroes, which is not why people play a superhero game. They play a superhero game, play a superhero. And I think that marketing it is always going to be difficult, but what doomed that game was literally the premise. Also, not even the first time that someone has tried to make a Marvel-focused service game. So, yeah. There have been some actually good games for superheroes, like the Batman series, except for the last one. But Miles Morales is fantastic. I just think that as a service-oriented, it's just a doomed prospect. And speaking of just the delays happening, I think the biggest one, which messaging has been a little muddied, was Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed four times now. Oh, yeah. Total mess. Absolute mess. Just development hell. And I think that just, I really feel for everyone involved in that game, but the marketing department and PR people are definitely frustrated. But at the same time, no one really knows what's going on. And the big PR problem they have that they are not squashing is I have seen no fewer than 10 separate people suggest that game is not going to get made. Basically, that game is vaporware and will never make it out the door. That is crazy to me. If you have a game and that rumor takes hold, you are, now think, no idea how old you are, but there was, I believe, the last major Ultima game. I can't remember which one it was. They had a huge build-up to it, and it was for years and years and years. It was before the internet was really prevalent for game stuff. Huge build-up. And then it took years to come out and it got delayed hundreds, well, felt like hundreds of times, it was probably way less. And when it finally came out, it was a buggy piece of crap. And that was because they built it up with all this successful PR and then failed to actually deliver a product at the end of it. I'm worried that Cyberpunk's going to do the same thing, but also they need to squash this game does not exist thing. Because if it gets delayed again, I have no idea. People are going to feel jilted. And they're definitely going to feel jilted if they bought a console like an Xbox One uh, Series X or a PS5 specifically to play it. I don't think it's going to be very good, personally. I just get a weird feeling from it. And so for PR pros and marketers that are actually trying to 
curb or stop or even redirect the messaging from a terrible rumor about it may not ever be made, may become, I don't know, the Duke Nukem forever <laughs> yeah. meme that was going around. How can actually PR pros oh, absolutely. do that? Because it's going to be a little bit difficult. If people just believe a rumor just to believe a rumor because we love drama, it's difficult to redirect that into a positive thing. So honestly, the biggest problem with Cyberpunk is how little actually playable stuff there has been. Like the fact that there have not been, for a game that should have been out by now, that there have not been actually like playable. There should have been a ton more playtests than there actually were. And it is crazy to me talking to some of my friends who are some of the people who think it will never get made. Guess what? I get where they're coming from. They're saying, really, no one's played much of this game. Why should I believe it exists? So, really, the thing to do is show, don't tell get someone like a really good reporter, like someone like Gene Park, a real gamer, a gamer's gamer, if you will, to play through it. Not a restricted one. And the biggest problem I find with a lot of these people in gaming PR as well is if they're the big ones, they love to hire these big agencies for the people who don't actually play games in any way, shape, or form, who barely know what they're talking about, who barely know the reporters they're talking to. That trickles down. Big decisions like this cannot be made quick enough to really matter. For example, I would not be surprised if Cyberpunk as big, unwieldy agency that's doing a bunch of stuff that they likely think is a good idea, but doing it very slowly. This game needs a quick response now. It needs something where, and any game in this situation does, needs a big, quick response, one that is definitive and says, okay, this game exists and it's fun and good. They're in this situation, I guarantee, where they probably have a big agency and they're being all cloak and dagger and they think secrecy is a good thing. Secrecy does not work, especially for something like this where people are already anxious it's vaporware and you need to step up and just actually get a reporter to cover it who's an actual gamer, not someone from a big outlet who doesn't game, the reason I say that is because, honestly, right now they need someone to actually play it and enjoy it who knows what a good game feels like versus someone who's going to go, wow, that looks cool. Good looks right now are not really going to matter to anyone. No one cares. They need someone to give it a thorough playtesting. Just people know it still exists. Because if I had pre-ordered this game, I generally don't pre-order games at all, I would probably have cancelled my pre-order just because I'd rather have the money back. I'd rather have the money back. And honestly, who knows when this game, if this game doesn't release in this year, I would not be surprised. I would actually be unsurprised if it shifts to as late as March next year. Maybe I'll get proven wrong, but it just feels so unlikely that we'll see it. Mm -hmm. There is the meme that Cyberpunk 2077 is going to come out in 2077. In 2077, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> It's just one of those things about, especially with COVID, I've seen a bunch of games just push back their release dates to whatever they feel like they could actually get done. Sure. But at the same time with Cyberpunk, their problem as well was if big communications screw up, was saying it went gold several months ago and then responding by saying, we're delaying it so we can do a big day one patch. To me, that reads like, our game is bad. 
And we need more time to fix the bad game. And I feel like most people will have a similar reaction. I feel as if they are hiding something, personally. And what they're likely hiding is an extremely buggy game. Sure, it has everything has an effect from COVID at the moment, absolutely. But I do not think COVID is the reason that this game is horribly delayed. I think the game is horribly delayed because it's likely significantly more complex than they meant it to be. And it's just extremely unwieldy. I think they also overpromised, but that's just me. Yeah, there's a lot of games that seem to overpromise things and you're like, that never happened. I remember Skyrim overpromised a little too much. Or was it Oblivion? Oh, it was Skyrim was broken forever. Skyrim has been a broken game for the multiple playthroughs have done. And there's something charming about how broken it is. I do not think that Cyberpunk is going to be that charming broken. Also, seriously, do not tell anyone your game went gold unless it's ready to go. Because seriously, it, it is so chintzy to say that and then delay it because it just suggests that the game is broken, you're duping people. Even if you mean it with good intentions, there is just no good way to do that. Yeah. And for those that don't know, going gold actually means you're going to be releasing it sooner. It's going to be on its release date. Yeah. It's gone to print, and it is an insane precedent in the game industry, less of a marketing thing, that going gold no longer means the game is done. I was a games journalist for a long time, and going gold meant the game was done. It meant that anything day one patch-related was just to fix some glaring bug that popped up or to fix some small things to make a better experience, not an extension to your homework. (laughs) Just crazy to me. Yeah, and speaking of that, there actually has been a lot of big flops this past year in gaming, or even in 2019 as well, as Anthem was a big flop. You talked about Avengers was a big flop. Yeah. So how can PR pros better market or even message this to gamers? Because I feel like a lot of times they miss the mark on the actual messaging of the actual game, where they actually say it's something, but it actually isn't. Another big miss was battlefront 2 and battlefield 5 they were both completely missing the mark on everything they were supposed to be talking about through their marketing messaging and gamers were like what the hell is this now battlefront 2 actually got better over time and battlefield 5 just got completely just dropped support so they just gave up on it yeah yeah how can marketers actually or pr pros better message their games because i feel like there's a messaging problem happening these past few years I think you're right, but I also think there's two things here. One, good marketing and PR cannot make up for a bad game unless it's Madden. They could just literally reskin as opposed to slightly reskin their game and re-release it every year, which is what they do, and they'll get good PR. But if a game sucks, then the game sucks. Like there's nothing you can do. Anthem was massively over-marketed, but I do not think that was on the marketing side. I think that there was a push from the top to overmarket this game, to just go full court press by people who either had lied to themselves who just didn't care, they just wanted to lie. And I do think that there's a duplicity within these companies that do this. I think that if you overpromise with a game, it's likely because you haven't played it. And that happens sometimes, you just haven't played the game. 
you just haven't had a chance to, or you haven't been given the opportunity to. Fine, whatever. That's up to you. However, my general feeling with the game is you need PR people and marketers who've actually played it, who get it, who aren't going to say things about it that aren't true or aren't going to say things about it that are just misleading. I think Avengers, for example, was just marketed extremely weirdly. I think that might be a product of development hell, but a lot of the people in marketing and PR and games, or at least it's less now, but it for many years were not gamers. And I do not mean that in a way that is the rest of gamers, they literally don't play video games, which feels like a large miss. And that's partly because I believe people who become marketers usually don't play video games. And in my mind as well, being a gamer is not just playing Battlefield or it's not just playing whatever, I don't know, one game that you like. It's about having a rounded knowledge. It's domain expertise. And that is something that will bother you across every industry, but it will definitely bother you across gaming. It will affect your ability to do business with journalists, by which I mean pitch them stories. It will affect your ability to actually describe the game in a way that makes sense and also not just rapidly overpromise. But at the same time, what can a marketer do if someone high up is overpromising? There's nothing you can do when the people you are working for are saying things that do not match reality or you are only working with so much information. And I feel like it's tough because before a game is actually playable, you are mostly describing hot air. And that to me is not a fault of the PR person, it's a fault with, I don't know, management. But I think that when a game is playable, the a lot of big game companies, they hire big agencies and these big agencies I have yet to meet one where someone has played more than one release a year that actually matters. Like, it's offensive to me, and it's it's a personal thing that bothers me. But that's across PR and marketing. I don't think it's unique to gaming, but it's just more aberrant in gaming because if you don't play a lot of games, it's just you don't know what you're talking about. It's basically you don't understand the culture behind gaming, too. More than the culture, because I I don't like the conversation around gamer culture because I do not believe it's... You can be a gamer, you can play a hell of a lot of video games without subscribing to gamer culture. It's just basic knowledge. It's your ability to describe things and understand things in the world around you. If you don't play a lot of games, then how can you talk about games good? It's just bizarre to me. It happens because I believe a lot of people get into marketing and PR for either the wrong reasons or just they don't know what it is. And when they get in there, they just work it out. That's what I did. It happens on the peripheral side because I've worked with two different companies in the peripheral side and either the engineering department runs it or the higher ups run it and you're the marketing person going, I can't market something that you don't say is actually doing something well. A reviewer got back to me saying that one of our coolers was doing terribly with the Intel CPU. And I was like, look at they're right. I just tested it out myself. And that is something that if I can speak to anyone on this podcast, if you are in chipsets and tech 
and you are not working with Linus Tech Tips. I keep seeing this happen because he is, and this happens across the board. I can't speak to the company that I'm talking about, but there was a big games developer that I worked with that would not work with certain people because they were quote unquote haters. Guess what? Cupcake. They don't work for you. They write for their audience. You want them, even if they're going if it's negative, maybe fix the negative thing. But you're right in that they want to deal with they want to deal with negative reviews like the mafia dealt with snitches. They want to just shut them out when the solution is to stop making bad things or fix the problems. Generally, that makes critics happy. They don't do it for fun, not all of them. So that is actually one of my questions. How do PR pros take that harsh criticism and actually make a better product that way? So there are two ways to look at it. There's the most common one, which is you think they're meanie meanies and you tell them they're mean and you never work with them again. One out of 10 times that happens, that is the reasonable way to be. Sure, there are occasionally people who are just horrible to work with. It happens in any job. Nine out of 10 times, if a review is bad, it's probably because the product's bad. I hate to tell you, but your product's probably bad if you get a bad review. If it is a four out of five or an eight out of 10 or a whatever, like a score that is not a 10 out of 10, maybe read the review and find out why. Also, consumer behavioral psychology shows that people expect bad reviews. Nothing is perfect in this hell world we live in. You want bad reviews, it shows you you're a real company. And you know what? If you can take a product that someone did not like and you can make it good, converting a critic is one of the easiest ways in the sense that you fix the problem, one of the easiest ways to get positive coverage. If you can show people that you care enough to listen and make a positive change, people respond incredibly well because especially in Western corporate America, there is a common trope that people feel like they are not important, that companies are just there to monetize them. Companies are just there to treat them like ones and zeros, and they are not important. And you know what? If you show the consumer through a reviewer that they are important, you will have fanatical customers. It's something that I don't know how companies don't, and I'll give you a great example. Dell. Dell was a company about 15, 20 years ago that was known as like your dad's PC that he buys from the website. They had a terrible reputation, especially when they were public. They went private and they vastly, they bought Alienware and they vastly changed how they did business. They listened to a lot of the problems, especially with the XPS laptops. Those laptops are now some of the best reviewed laptops out there. And that's because they're good laptops, but also they listened to the problems. They said, all right, these are why everyone's pissed off with us. This is why everyone doesn't buy these. What if I didn't do the thing that was bad? And guess what? People responded positively. That's the easiest way to deal with it. Don't blacklist a reporter because they give you a bad review. Unless they won't fix literal factual stuff. And I do not mean objective stuff. Quite literally, they say the game is 60 bucks and it's 50 bucks. Like, just work with them. They're not there to hurt you. But also, if your game has something wrong with it, or your product has something wrong with it, their job is to work for the consumer to make sure they don't buy something bad. 
that's it. Like, that's why they're there. And you've got to realize that you have to make a good product to get a good review. Mm-hmm. And moving into something that actually could potentially affect the whole gaming, or at least more of the games and the cuts that a lot of these companies make, what do you think the Epic and Apple lawsuit will change if Epic wins in this lawsuit for the gaming industry in a whole? So I think that I have a slightly radical view here. I don't want anyone to win that lawsuit. I want somehow both of them to lose because I don't like how Epic does things. I never have never been a big fan of Epic's, but also they broke the guidelines of Apple's app store flagrantly. They very much did. There is no way in hell. They don't know they were doing it. If you want to win the moral argument, how about not doing that? On top of that, I feel that Apple has been doing business recently in a way that is just very worrying. And I feel that Apple has on its own destroyed mobile gaming on the app store. Why is that? Because by prioritizing profit over experience, they have pushed to the forefront free to play gaming. Free to play gaming is not great for gaming. It is not. I cannot think of one game and I've not played much of Genshin Impact. So if you're someone who plays that, I'm sorry. I feel like free-to-play gaming is a race to the bottom of the worst kind, and it cons users, and it makes bad gaming. So I think that Epic will lose. I really do. I don't think they've got strong claims. I feel that they're just going to spin this out and make it last a while and make it fiscally painful for Apple. I feel that if they win, it will do something that will happen to Apple naturally, which is Apple has to at some point change their 70-30 split. Just has to happen. It's going to happen. I think they're going to lose, though. And I think that the problem with that whole situation is (laughs) Apple's just created a really bad experience for gaming on their store. I just feel that their store does not promote good gaming. It doesn't promote the making of good games. It doesn't promote premium games. It promotes games where there was Monument Valley, where people got annoyed with them because they wanted $5 for an expansion. Apple has created a race to the bottom. It sucks so bad. I'm not pleased with them. And like I said, I wish both of them would lose. But I think the changes that could be made there will just be game developers on Apple will make a smidgen more money. But I don't think any really great games are being made on iOS or Android. I'm sure that there are a few exceptions, but I just feel as if the economics are so bad for everyone involved that it's just, it won't change much about AAA development. It will change the way that some games monetize. Mm-hmm. There was only one that I could think of that was actually pretty good when it came out, and that was the Call of Duty Mobile one. I haven't played that. I've been using the Backbone a lot, which is this little clip-on, and they've done excellent PR, little clip-on thing. that you, you can put it on your iPhone and play games. It's like a Xbox One controller. And I could play it on that, but I'm just, I don't like Call of Duty games. So maybe that game is good, but it's another free-to-play game, isn't it? Yeah. In a way, but there is no limit on how much you can play. Ah, that's good. So a lot of free-to-play games, you have like lives and you have five lives and you have to wait. Energy or... Yeah. They got rid of that. You can play as many as you want. 
So basically it's almost a playing it on a console except for it's free and there's other stuff that you can't get unless you pay for something, which... Remarkably equitable. Yeah. But still, I just don't think that the ramifications for the games industry are huge. I think for the App Store and for potential antitrust, there could be some huge ramifications. Yeah. I was also thinking more about, for example, Steam has a 3070 cut as well. Yeah. I think Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo all have 3070 cuts as well. They're not... Apple's not the only one doing this in the whole industry. Oh, not at all. And Epic isn't doing it for the industry. They're doing it because Epic wants more money. Because <laughs> uh, what is it? The CEO needs a, a, an eighth McLaren. Yeah. Because I don't know his other ones in the shop. I don't really know. But it's, it's an annoying situation because it has two of the least likable combatants. That's fair. And what do you think about cloud gaming? I know it's had a rough start. I actually think it's amazing. So I've been talking about that backbone thing. It, and there's also, I think it's called the Razer Kishi or something like that. There is a... Yeah, Razer does have one. So these things, I think, when Apple gets their head out their rear ends with regards to what they will allow in the App Store with that, I think that cloud gaming has a real future. Stadia is comedically bad though just stadia sucks and i think that at least in the u.s i think broadband has a long way to go before it really can take off but if it works i think it is the future i've been playing my ps5 and my xbox one x one x i can't say it properly series x terrible naming for that console I've been playing both of those from the couch whilst watching football yesterday. And it's incredible how well it works. This is the future. This is how I truly think that we are, it might be like 10 years, but I think we are on the doorstep of truly decoupling gaming from consoles or even personal devices. It's going to take a much larger penetration of fiber internet. But I think that we are at a point where with things like the backbone or Razor's device, I think that we are at a point where it's not unrealistic to game on your phone. Yes, it's unrealistic to expect to play a full-featured game on a touchscreen. I just don't think that's possible. But the actual experience is so good. If you haven't tried remote play on a PS5, with an iPhone and a the backbone or what have you is magical. I was playing, I played like four hours of Demon Souls yesterday on it and it was flawless. Now I have fiber internet, I have a good internet connection. So maybe that had some effect, but it was really good. Now with the loading times of these consoles, I think they're already conditioning people to the experience of what streaming gaming would look like. I think that like I said, we're a bit far away, but you can see the future right now. And remote play is magical. I think that I think that you will see more and more people trying remote play and finding how pleasant it is. And that is going to be the kind of entry entryway to this experience. Yeah, you also have Amazon's making one with Luna. They also have Microsoft with their streaming service. With xCloud. Yeah, the xCloud. It's their streaming service in general. You also have GeoForce or NVIDIA Now. GeoForce Now is it's actually called. So 
how is this going to pivot from the usual messaging of gaming was just we're putting on this and this it's going to change to play your way so how is that messaging going to change for game makers i think that it's good for game makers because you're not developed well eventually and i should be clear this is going to be quite a while away if they can make this thing work replicably it will be the end of having to own a particular device or machine. There will always be purists uh, who have a really nice PC, like I have a really good gaming PC. I don't think you'll have as many people. And that's it. I don't think you'll see the end of platform gaming, but I think you'll definitely see way more people gaming because it will be inherently less expensive and honestly better. It will be a better, more consistent experience. I think for developers, it's going to be a case of how do you make something that fits even more screens? It's going to be a challenge, but it really will come down to whatever the PS6 and the next Xbox will be, because will broadband by that point be prevalent enough that you don't even have a console? You just have kind of a box that streams something in, kind of like Comcast. The idea of Comcast handling gaming makes me genuinely upset inside but i feel that it is going to unpack the gaming industry for good and for bad mm-hmm. basically game your way is going to be a, the major messaging or the new messaging it will it's just we're quite far from that being technologically possible 5g still has to be deployed yes absolutely and about the gaming media, because I've seen and I've we've had some guests on PR360 saying some other industries, the gaming media is being less prevalent or that earned media is not as big as it used to be. Do you see a decline in the gaming media like Kotaku, I think, went bankrupt or was going through a bankruptcy? GameSpot hasn't been as prevalent. Do you see those actually declining? I see a decline only in the sense that all media is declining. I see decline in all media and I feel as if it's not relative just to gaming. I feel that what happened with Kotaku was the horrendous mismanagement of Jim Spanfella and GMG. That was just, for example, Polygon, they've had, everyone had layoffs in media pretty much. Polygon, I think had some, but I may be wrong there. So apologies if I'm wrong there. Nevertheless, good games journalism is going to continue mattering. I think you're going to see more business games journalism too. Jason Schreier, who was at Kotaku, I think he went to Bloomberg, I believe. There is going to be more... Gaming is starting to get its respect as a multi-billion dollar industry, finally, despite the fact it's been like that for a while. And I think you're going to see more gaming business reporters... I think you're going to see less coverage of esports. I know that they shut down the entire esports department at uh, ESPN when they did the large round of layoffs recently. I think esports is going to be how you work out all of this, though. If esports takes off, it's going to create a bunch of new publications, even more than Deserto and stuff like that. But I don't think you're going to see less places to review games. And in fact, you're seeing really great people covering games like hardcore gaming. You're going to see people at Games Nexus who are very much hardcore PC type people. 
PCs and personal computer. And you're going to see more specialists than you're going to see anything else. You're going to see far less generalist publications, but more people who want to hear about something specific, which is beautiful. I actually think that's good. I cut my teeth at a gaming publication, PC Zone, specifically for PC gamers. Mm -hmm. And so you actually see PR pros becoming the, those reporters, as you said, but also working with the smaller ones like podcasters, YouTubers, and streamers. Do you see that transitioning more over to them as the newer media or the media people trust more often if they're smart i think that all pr people have a problem where they only shoot for the biggest publications i think if you have a game and you have codes you should give them to everyone don't mess around don't be stingy yeah you should just their codes they don't cost you nothing you want more reviews not less mm -hmm. and fun question for you if you could create a console what features would you have in it my feeling is that the dream console is one that you can play anywhere. I feel that if you could deliver a great portable and sit down experience that's equal, that is the dream. I feel the switch, it, it's crazy to expect the switch to do that. But that's also something I enjoy the idea of. I love the fact I can play demon cells on my iPhone. That makes me very happy because I like to play games while I watch TV. You watch your terrible reality shows like I do. I think that's the dream. I also do love the idea of cloud gaming. I think cloud gaming is nearly there. And when it's there, it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. And any final thoughts for listeners? I think if you're in PR right now, and you're in games PR and you don't play games. And if you've said to someone, and this is something I heard a lot when I was doing more games PR, if you say to someone, oh, you play too many games, or if you're dismissive of people who play a lot of games because you believe it gets in the way of doing the job, you are wrong. You are 100% wrong. Because the main expertise, and this happens in tech and games a lot, is a good thing. It is not something to be derisive of. And if you are someone in PR who is actively calling people a nerd behind their back or to their face because they play a lot of games, do me a favor and quit your job. Get out of this industry. You're a poison on this industry and you do bad work. And the people who actually know what they're talking about will succeed. I'm living proof, but I'm quite bitter on this because I feel as if games PR especially has a problem of those who play a lot of games and those who say they do, but they just play Call of Duty or they play nothing. I don't think that is fair or respectful to the customer. It's something that continues to bother me. All right. Thank you, Ed, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge about the gaming industry. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe, do what you love, and see you next week. Later. <laughs>